This week's parsha is Parsha's Vayakel Pekudei. And the parsha is basically a summary, a recap of Truma Titzaveh and parts of Kisisa going over the actual building of the structure of the Mishkan and the Big Day Kahuna. And of course, the architect of all of this was a young man by the name of Bitzalo. It says in Parshas Vayakel, Parak Lamed Hey, Pasuk Lamed, Vayemer Meshel B'nei Yisrael, Ru'u Kara Hashem B'Shem, Hashem called by name, he invited by name, B'Tzalel ben Uri ben Chur Lamata Yehuda. B'Tzalel was, as we said, the architect, the designer, the builder, the dreamer of this great edifice of the Mishkan Hashem, and throughout history, there have always been Bitzalels that have built the most beautiful and important edifices of Kedusha, yeshivas and shuls, mikvais, chadarim. And all of the people that have built these Institutions and all of the people that have supported these institutions are following in the great footsteps of B'Tzalo. And in order to build these buildings of Kedusha and these dreams, it's important as it was in the time of the Mishkan to raise money to go around and fundraise, which is not a an easy job at all, it's a thankless job, in fact. And even the great leaders of the institutions, the great Kedaili Yisrael, very often were forced to go and fundraise themselves to either build the Mekayimah Sakadashis or to maintain them. And they had to go to the Gevirim, the Balabatim, uh, who would be able to support these institutions. Sometimes these stories of fundraisings have happy endings, sometimes they don't. But we could glean a lot from understanding the stories behind the fundraising of these B'Tzalos. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, Hashem Yinkam Dhammav, was one of, of course, the great Kedayla Yisrael before the war. And he had a yeshiva by the, by the name of Baranovich. And the yeshiva was not a, uh, a wealthy yeshiva at all. In fact, it was quite poor. And the Bachram very often had a very hard time just simply surviving because the portions of food, the rations, the heat was so meager and scarce that it forced Rebbe Hanan to go and fundraise himself. And he had to go all over the world. He went to Europe and even came to these shores of the United States of America. I'll tell you two stories about Rebbe Hanan on such trips. One was a good story. And it was a story which involved him going to a very wealthy philanthropist by the name of Urbanyamin Banish Dennis of Charkov. Charkov was a very great Jewish community and one of the Gevirim, one of the Balabatim that was a big supporter of Taira, 
His name was Rabinyamin Benish Dennis. And he had a beautiful mansion. And in this mansion, he had wall-to-wall carpet. Today, that's a given. Most people, many people have carpet in their homes. But in Europe, before the war, this was a very big luxury, a very rare thing. He had white wall-to-wall carpet. And he had beautiful white couches. And he had tapestries on the wall that were light. And Rebel Hanan was coming during a big storm. Like we had this week, a very big snowstorm. And after the snowstorm, there was, the roads were very muddy. They didn't have all of the modern concrete like we have today. It was all mud and dirt. And so between the snow and the rain and the ice and the sleet and the muddy roads, it became simply a mess. And Rebel Hanan was a very large man and he had... Uh, uh, he had mud all over his large boots, and he had mud all over his coat. And he, knowing this home and how beautiful and pristine and white it was, he didn't want to start tracking mud through the white carpets and rugs and furniture and sit on that beautiful couch with his wet coat. So what he did was he came around the back of the home, of the dentist's home, and he knocked on the kitchen door where there was marble tile, and that would be better. That could be mopped up. It wouldn't be a permanent stain. As soon as Rabbi Yaman Banish saw Rabbi Hanan through the back door of his house, he hopped in a second why Rabbi Hanan was going around instead of coming through the Derech HaMelech, the normal front door of the house. And Rabbi Yaman Banish starts screaming at Rabbi Hanan. And he says, Rabbi Hanan... He says, you've ruined my two daughters. Rabbi Yaman Benish had two daughters. He says, you've ruined them. He says, what do you mean I've ruined them? I don't even know who they are. How could I ruin them? He says, I have been telling them my whole life, their whole life, that although we built a beautiful home, all of the trappings of luxury that I have put into this home are all bottled for Tyra. Everything that we have is only for Kavadat Tyre. That's the only reason why we have everything. And if you go and you go through the back door, it's going to undermine everything that I've taught them. I want Rebel Hanan with his dirty boots to come and track mud all over my white carpet and sit with his wet, dirty coat on my white couch so that my girls see that what I'm saying is true. That... Everything is for Tyra, that I'm giving everything for Tyra, and the beauty of the home pales in comparison to the beauty of a Tamar Chacham. And Rebbe Hanan understood what he was saying, so he came around the front door, and sure enough, he tracked mud and dirt into the beautiful Dennis home, and he gave a very, very large check to the Baranovich Yeshiva. Just parenthetically, many years later, after this incident happened, so the Bolshevik, um, they took over during the communist revolution, uh, the Bolsheviks stole all of, uh, all of the Dennis wealth. They took the house and all of the trappings, all the furniture, and he says that all that remained of my wealth was my two precious jewels. Who are his two precious jewels? His two sons-in-law who married those two dentist daughters. One of them was Rabbi Avram Yitzhak Bloch of Tells, and the other was Rabbi Zalman Bloch. 
who each married one of the Dennis daughters, and of course they became, the whole Tells dynasty uh, passes through the Blochs because um, one daughter married, one of these daughters married, the one that married, um, the one that married Rav Mitzvah Bloch had a daughter who married of Isaac Osband, married of Baruch Sarotskin, and her daughter married of Isaac Osband. The other Rebetzin's daughter Shoshana married of Mardechai Gifter, and the other daughter married um, Rav Pesach Stein. Anyway, all of the great Telzer Rosh Hashivas and dynasty basically came through this Dennis home. From this Dennis, from these two Dennis daughters came all we know today from Tells basically comes from them. And this is what came about from one fundraising trip of Rabbi Hanan Wasserman. This is one good story that we glean. There's a story that's not always as good an ending, but in a way it has a better ending because it gave me the shmuz. What's the ending of the next story? Rabbi Hanan came to America, like I said. And during the trip that he made to America to fundraise, he, first of all, he gave a lot of chizuk to a lot of young pioneers, young yeshiva bachram, that basically themselves eventually became great Torah leaders and great lay leaders of Klal Yisrael. But besides for that, he came, he went from shul to shul to raise desperately needed funds for the yeshiva in Baranovich. And in one such shul, he got up and he gave a fire and brimstone drasha and he said how important it is to support Taira. He described the greatness of the Baranovich Yeshiva and the Mesiris Nefesh of the Talmidim. And then he said that for $80, a person will be able to support the entire Yeshiva for a week. Now, $80 today is not so much money. Back then it was a lot of money. But $80 to support a whole Yeshiva for a week is a pretty, sounds like a pretty good deal. And he got a lot of people interested. And they were ready, you know, ready with their checkbooks out. And then the rub of this shul where he spoke got up after he spoke, after Abel Khanan spoke, and he had all of the people, you know, excited to give. He started going on an unrelated drasha for 15 minutes. And he said that, uh, you know, and at the end of the speech, he basically said, whatever you give, it's fine. Even a dollar is chashev. And basically, he took all of the air out of the balloon of Rebbe Khan. Rebbe Khan built everybody up into such a, a crescendo of excitement to give $80. And he says it's enough if you give a dollar. And basically, everybody, it, was a, it just fell, you know, it was a dud of, a, of an appeal. Every, he killed the whole appeal, this Rav. And the Rav hopped that he killed the appeal. And he said to Rebbe Khan afterwards, I apologize that... I killed the appeal. I apologize that, you know, without me, you probably would have done a whole lot better. So Rebbe said, and this is a great part of the story, that when Meishu Rabbeinu was told by the Rabbeinu Shalom that I want somebody by the name of B'Tzalel to go and build the Mishkan Hashem, Meishu Rabbeinu may not have known who he was talking about. There might have been many B'Tzalels in Klal Yisrael. We're talking about 600,000 people and millions, men, women, children, go and find Betzalel. I don't know who Betzalel is. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to go and actually find who the Rabbeinu Shalom is talking about. 
So Rochanan says, let's say Meshur Rabbeinu goes to a certain person and says, are you B'Tzalel? And the person says, nope, my name is uh, God. He says, okay, fine. You think Meshur Rabbeinu got mad at God because he's not B'Tzalel? He's not B'Tzalel, he's not B'Tzalel. What's he supposed to do? Meshur Rabbeinu goes over to another person. Are you B'Tzalel? He says, no, my name is, uh, is Menashe. Okay. You're not, you're not Pitzal, you're Menashe. I'm not mad at you. Rabbi Hanan said that just like Meshe Rabbeinu couldn't be mad when looking for Pitzal, if it wasn't Pitzal, it's not Pitzal. He says, I can't be mad at you and I can't be mad at any of the people in the shul that didn't give. I'm looking for Pitzal. I'm looking for the person that's going to be Zaycha to help me build my yeshiva up to maintain my yeshiva, to support my yeshiva. You're either Zaycha or you're not Zaycha. If your name is Betzalel, and you want to step to the plate, and you want to be part of the, the Messiah of Tyra, fine. But if these people, for whatever reason, whether it's your Joshua, whether it's my Joshua, if they're not willing or able or committed to give, I can't be mad at anybody. The Rabbi Shalom decides who's the Betzalel and who's not Betzalel. And Rebbe Hanan pacified this rub and says, I'm looking for the Betzalels. I'm looking for the individuals that are Zaycha and willing to build Tyra. If they're Zaycha, if they're Betzalels, wonderful. But if not, I'm not angry. No reason for me to be upset. I'm just doing my Ishtadlus. And whoever is the Betzalel in Klal Yisrael, they will do theirs. That's an amazing story. Because it's so perceptive and it's so, it opens up worlds which we'll describe in a few minutes. It takes a great schus to be B'tzalo. Not everybody's a B'tzalo. Not everybody's able to start a yeshiva or a shul or a mikvah or a yeshiva katana. Not everybody's zaychet to do that, for sure not. But not everybody's zaychet to support it either. A person might be a very wealthy individual, but it takes certain chusim to be able to be a bitzalel in terms of supporting the dream. A lot of us think, you know, if I would win the lottery, if I would be a multimillionaire, if I would be a, a huge, very successful professional, I am going to be the greatest philanthropist. I'm going to, I would support yeshiva, so I would find my yeshiva you know, in Eretz Yisrael, my high school, Lander, every yeshiva, every shul that I ever went to, I'm going to be like a huge philanthropist. And some are. Some are zaycha to be tremendous philanthropists. But very often when a person has money, comes into money, it's very, very difficult for them to part with the money. It's very difficult for them to have his chos to support Tyro. There's a, a story about Ravaren Kotler. Ravaren Kotler was always supporting, always going and looking for support for Lakewood. Lakewood is uh, today, especially today, there's thousands and thousands of people. But even when it was a small, little yeshiva in Lakewood starting out, it took a lot of money to support and Rav Aaron Cutler, you'd think that he was sitting in Lakewood and giving shiurim day and night and, you know, and shmuzin and badin and this and that. You thought that that, if you, you know, that's the impression that I always had growing up of Rav Aaron Cutler. Unfortunately, the fundraising for Lakewood, 
fell mainly on Rav Aaron Kotler's shoulders. And he also fundraised for a lot of other things like Pinoch and Tara and you know, many, many other organizations and Vat Hatzalah, of course. But Lakewood's budget, whatever it was at the time, it fell on him. He had, to, he had an apartment in Borough Park and he, that's where he lived for most of the week. And he would go around to many Balabatim and Gevirim and make appeals to raise money for Lakewood. And then a few days a week, he'd come back, he'd give shir, he'd stay in Lakewood for Shabbos. But his main thing was running around collecting money for Lakewood. It's a bizayin. The Ravaran Kotlin needed to spend a minute to do that, but that's what he had to do. It's interesting. There's a story that's told about Ravaran Kotler, just as an aside. It's a, it's a Peladika story. I saw it in a reliable source. If not, I wouldn't believe it. But he says something like this. He says that why is it that Rashi Shivas so often need to go around to do fundraising? It's not, Rashi should be sitting, you know, in a, in a shiva giving shiurim, giving shir klalis, talking to the bathroom. What, why, why would the Rabbi Shalom make it that Rashi Shivas have to go and, and fundraise? And he says a very scary thing. He says that very often, he says, we know that a hirig nefesh bishkaga is chayev galuf. Whoever learned Makis knows that if you kill somebody b'shaygeg, if you kill somebody by accident, inadvertently, you have to go into Gaulus. Gaulus means you have to go to an Arimiklat, you have to go to a city of refuge to, to take shelter from, uh, from the, the people that are chasing after. One of the kapara of somebody that kills somebody b'shaygeg, the atonement, comes from going into Gaulus. He says, very often, Rabbeim and Rosh Hashivas they inadvertently kill people all the time. Who do they kill inadvertently? They embarrass Talmidim. Because very often, a Rebbe, you know, sometimes, you know, says something that in sheer or, or out of sheer, and, it's, and it causes the Talmud to blush. It causes the Talmud to feel bad about himself. So that's considered to be like killing somebody. If you're Mabayish, it's Chavir, it's Kilo Hargai, it's like you killed him. And very often, Rabbi and Rosh Hashivas fall prey to this uh, lack of sensitivity to Talmidim. And so they're chayef to go into Gaulus. They have to go into Gaulus. The Gaulus that Rosh Hashivas have to go, to, go through is, is going fundraising. They have to leave their home. They have to go out into the wild blue yonder, anywhere there's a shul, a community, finding, you know, going to America, to Europe, overseas on a boat. That's their gallus that they're that they have to uh, have in order to atone for any anything that they may have done wrong to the Talmidim. It's a, if not if Rav Aaron Cutler was not quoted as saying that, we wouldn't be allowed to say that. But that's what Rav Aaron Cutler used to say. In any event, Rav Aaron Cutler went to somebody that was a very very wealthy man, and he had many many millions, maybe tens of millions of dollars, and he was on his deathbed. And Rav Aaron says, listen, says, you have so much money. Your, your life is not going to be forever, as you see. You're hooked up to IV machines. It's not, it, you're, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're in a matzah that's unenviable. He says, I guarantee you, this is Rav Aaron Kotler, the Gadol Adar, talking. He says, if you give $1 million to Lakewood, he says, you will go straight to Eilam Haba. Go straight to Eilam Haba. No, no questions asked. Don't, no, you know, don't ask. Oh, no, you know, two hundred dollars straight to straight to Gan Eden. 
says the million dollars to you is nothing. He says you have so many millions, your great-great-grandchildren won't need this money. You have so much. Give it to Lakewood. We need it. It's Tyra, it's Kedusha, it's, you're going to be supporting, you know, and this person was listening, and he says, uh, let me think about it a little bit, and he thinks about it, and back and forth, back and forth, he dies. Before he had a chance to do anything, he died. And they asked of Schneer what happened over here. He says, it's very simple. He says, it takes great schusim to support Tyra. Not everybody, like we, like Rabbi Hanan said, not everybody's betzalel. There's very few betzalels in the world. You're either betzalel or you're not betzalel. To be betzalel, you need schusim to be betzalel. If you have the merit of supporting Tyra, then you'll be zeichet to support Tyra. You can have all the money in the world, but you don't have the schus. To support Tyra, can't support Tyra. Can't be angry at people that aren't supporting. They're just not zeichah. It's sad. It's a shame that they don't have the ability to support Tyra, even though they have the wherewithal, the means to support Tyra. Rav Schwab, Rav Shimon Schwab has a son. His name is Rav Meir Schwab. He's a menal of a girls' school in Denver, the Beis Yaakov of Denver. And like all yeshivas, like all Beis Yaakovs, they're struggling, they're bursting at the, street, at the seams. They have uh, the girls, you know, already grew out of the building that they had and they were learning in, in trailers, you know, that they set up, heated trailers. That's not a way to have a school. So, again, there was a very wealthy man who every year, Rav Schwab, Rav Mayor Schwab, went to in Denver to try to get money out of him. And every year he gave the same check, let's say $180, which... Nice check for you and me, but for, for this person, it was a mamish a drop in the bucket. The guy was so wealthy. And again, this person, every year of Schwab tried to get a big check out of him, $180, every single time. And now this person was also on his deathbed in a hospital room, and Schwab visits him and says, listen, Mr. Cohn, he says, you don't need the money. My Beis Yaakov needs the money. I want to build a new wing of the Beis Yaakov your name will be emblazoned on this wing forever and ever. It will be the Mr. Cohn wing. I need $300,000, whatever the, the amount was, it doesn't matter. I need the money, you have the money, I need the money. Please give me the money. Just give me the money, it doesn't matter. You're not, your kids won't care, your grandkids won't care. Just give me the money, you could do it. He says, come back to me tomorrow, let me think about it. The next day... He didn't die yet. Still alive, you know, surprisingly. And um, he says, Rabbi Schwab, says, the check. It's in the drawer. Schwab got all excited. His heartbeat started getting, started pumping a little. And he, uh, he goes to the drawer, takes out the check, $180. So he says, uh, Mr. Cohn, maybe you didn't hear me. He says, $180 is nice, thank you, but I, I need a real check. I need, I need to build a new wing of the school. The girls are learning in, in these cold trailers. You have the money. I need. He says, Rabbi Schwab, I heard everything that you said. He says, and my, my heart wants to. My heart really wants, it heard you, and it wants to give the money to your yeshiva. He says, but my hand does not allow me to write out the check. I want to. I just physically can't. 
And that's the way it is. People all over the world are looking for B'Tzalos, but not everybody's a B'Tzalos. There's very few Yechidim that are Zeichet to be B'Tzalos, that are real philanthropists, that give, you know, B'Lev Shalem and B'Yad Rechava, that they give generously with a full heart, because when you have money, it's very hard to part with it. There's a psychology behind it. There's a reason I could give you to explain it. But the fact of the matter is, there are some people that are so generous and they just give and give and give whatever they can. And then there are people that they're not zeichah to give. Not because they, they don't like Tyra. They like Tyra. They, they want Tyra to thrive. But just physically, they're not able to give. They're not able to be betalos. You know, we speak about the Tell's dynasty. Reb Lazer Telzer was the, the founding Rav and Rosh Yeshiva of the Tell's Yeshiva. And he also had to go fundraising. Because again, the Yeshiva was, was desperate for money. And he went to uh, England. He went to London to fundraise. He thought that that's where maybe the Yeshua of the Yeshiva would be. But... Uh, and he was 70 years old, he was no youngster, and he was going from shul to shul in London, and he thought that maybe that's where he would make his money for the yeshiva that desperately needed it, they were starving the boys, they, the, everything was desperate there. And London, he was basically shut down from shul to shul, people weren't receptive to what he was saying, and he suffered such agmas nefesh that the, even the rich people in London were not generous and giving to the yeshiva that he suffered a fatal heart attack and he died in London. Today, if you want to, if you ever go to England, um, there is a, there's a cemetery in northeast London. It's called the Edmonton Cemetery. And there, there's a, a tzian, there's like a whole little house for Reblazer Gordon. One of the G'dayle Adar is buried in, in northeast London, of all places. I guess in a way it was good if he would be buried in you know, in, in Europe, the cemetery probably would be destroyed. Now at least it's, uh, you know, it's, it's intact. But he wasn't able to be, you know, taken back to Tells. It was impossible in those days to do that. So he was buried in North East. But that's the, the degree of Agmas Nefesh that he had to go through to get a, to, to raise money. He died, Imamish died for the yeshiva, physically. And... In one of the shuls that he went to, he asked the Gabbai if he would uh, permit him to speak from the pulpit and ask for, you know, to make an appeal on, on behalf of the Tal Shiva. And first they were very against it. No, we don't do that. You know, we're not interested and it's not for us. We have our own local institutions here to support. We don't help, you know, foreign institutions. Finally, finally, the Gabbai, out of the mercy of his heart, said, fine, you could speak, but no longer than five minutes. After five minutes, that's it. You're done. The chutzpah, the seder of Laser Gordon. So he gets up to speak, and he says the following drasha. He says, when Moshe Rabbeinu was a little infant in that basket, so the pasuk says that his sister Miriam was standing in the, you know, in the brush, and she was waiting, she was standing from a distance, Ledea Mayikroloi, to know what would be with him, what, what's going to be with Moshe. 
So Reb Lezegarin says, I don't understand. What's the question? What does it mean, Ledea Mayikula, to know what will be within? She knew, Miriam was a Neviah. She knew that her brother was going to be the Mashiach Shal Yisrael. He was going to save Kal Yisrael. So what was the question to know what would be what? She thought he would drown? How could he drown? How could he die? Mashiach Rabbein was supposed to be the leader of Kal Yisrael, and she knew it. So Blaze Gordon says that's not what she was standing and waiting for. She wasn't standing and waiting to see what would be with him. In other words, would he live, would he die? He, she knew that he would live. Ledea Mayikralai means to know who would be the one that was Zaycha to save him. Who would save him? She knew that he would be saved one way or another, but who? Who would be Zaycha? Who would be the one that would be the Mashiach of the Mashiach and Shal Yisrael? That she didn't know. That she was waiting curiously to find out who was going to step to the plate and save Mashiach Abenu. And her blazer garden says, that's what I'm doing here. He says, tells Yeshiva will survive one way or another. Tyra will have a kiyom, period. I have no doubt. I'm not here to decide the fate of Tyra in the world or the fate of Tyra and Tells. We will make it. All I want to know is, who is going to be Zeiche to be the one to support it? That was his five-minute appeal. In other words, he was saying... Who is going to be the B'tzalel? Where is the B'tzalel? I'm seeking B'tzalel. Are you B'tzalel or are you not B'tzalel? There is a B'tzalel somewhere. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told me that there's going to be a B'tzalel somewhere that's going to build the Mishkan. I'm looking for B'tzalel. If you're the B'tzalel, then if you're not the B'tzalel, I'm not angry with you because you are not Zeichet. But in every generation, there are going to be the B'tzalels that are Zaycha to build Taira, and there's going to be the Vitzalals that are Zaycha to support Taira with a checkbook. And both of them take tremendous chusim. And you're either the Vitzalal or you're not the Vitzalal. That's a lesson in fundraising. And you might be scratching your head and saying, okay, but I don't want to be a fundraiser, so thanks for the Musr Shmuz and, you know, but first of all, it is important for us all to know that even if we're not fundraisers, the Mitzvah Hashem will be able to support Tyrus someday. And we have to think every time we're approached by yeshiva, by a mikvah, by a fundraiser of whatever sort, a kailo, I want to be B'tzalel. I want to be in the Messiah of people that are builders, our creators, our architects of Tyrus. I want to follow either in the lead of the Rav Aaron Cutlers of the world or of the Rav Benyamin Benish Dennis's of the world. I want to either build Taira by making yeshiva, by being a Rebbe, by being a Mechanech, or I want to build Taira through supporting such ventures. But I want to be B'Tzalel. That's one important yesai to keep in the back of your brain. But I want to apply this Vart of to other things in our daily life. Let's start with another type of Mishkan. When we're building a home, a Jewish home, how do you build a Jewish home? Well, you have to get married. 
a lot of times, and this is true for boys and it's true for girls, you date and a person is looking for a certain girl, a girl is looking for a certain guy and they're dating, sometimes it seems to be like amazing. Sometimes this is the one, I know that this is my husband, I know this is my wife, going to marry, we're going to have a beautiful family, we have the same ashkafas, we have the same outlook, we have the same interests. And it seems to be going well. And all of a sudden, rejection. The boy says no, the girl says no. And there's so much grief. So much grief. And... You know, people come to me all the time, Rebbe, you know, I, I, this was supposed to be my wife, and, you know, it didn't happen, and now, you know, what do I do? I can't marry anybody else, I don't want to date anymore, it's, it's, it's over for me, how could she say no, how could the Rebbe Nishlam do this, and, you know, it's very frustrating, it's very, very, it's very difficult to, 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 to deal with, and girls have this in the same, the same way. But I think Rabbi Hanan's vart is so applicable. It's so applicable. Isn't it? This phone is the worst phone ever. Okay. It's my long story, but bad phone. Okay. Um, it takes, it makes random phone calls, like in the middle of a schmooze or whatever, it just calls people, it takes pictures, it does, has a life of its own. And it's not a smartphone. It's the opposite. Um, but uh, Rebbe Hanan's Vard is so applicable. Rebbe Hanan says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was looking for B'Tzalel, and he goes to one person, he says, are you B'Tzalel? He says, no, I'm not B'Tzalel, I'm Menashe. He says, okay, fine, I'm not mad at you, you're not, you're not, you're not the person I'm looking for. And he goes to another person, are you B'tzal? No, I'm God. Are you Menashe? No, I'm, uh, I'm Chaim. You can't be mad at people that aren't B'tzalos. There's one B'tzalel. And in order to build the Mishkan Hashem, you have to find that B'tzalel. If a person is not that B'tzalel, then stop being angry at that person. It's obviously, if that person said no to you, then that's not your B'tzalel. If the girl said no to you, then she's not your whatever the, the Hebrew equivalent of Betzal is. You can't be mad at people because the Rabbi Shalom has a Betzal in mind, and if it's not your Betzal, then that's not your Betzal. That's not the builder that you needed. It seemed to you that it was. But you have to find that specific Betzal. person might have seemed like Betzal, the person might have had talents like Betzal, but the Rabbi Shalom said to find one B'tzalel, and if the person's not B'tzalel, then forget about that person. You can't be angry, you can't be despondent, because when you find your B'tzalel, and this is what I say to everybody, and everybody comes back to me later and says, you were right. When you find that right person, then you'll be happy, you'll look back and you'll say, thank goodness that that did not work out. What do you mean, thank goodness? You were so upset, you were depressed, you were you know, rejected and, and crying. Yeah, but now I realize that that was, you know, that, was, that was a big mistake. Had I married that person, it would have been terrible for ten different reasons. 
When you're looking for Bitzalel, you have to look for Bitzalel. If it's not Bitzalel, then forget about that person. Go to somebody else. It's not a rejection. The Rabbi Shalom is giving you a fa- doing you a favor. Rabbi Shalom had a Bitzalel in mind, and you found your Bitzalel great. You don't, it's not your Bitzalel, evidently, because they, they said no. So then that's not your Bitzalel. Don't be upset. Can't be upset at somebody who's not a Bitzalel. That's when you're trying to build a Mishkan Hashem of your own. You're looking for your Bitzalel. You have to find the Bitzalel. And don't be upset if it's not. Now I want to take it a step further. And this is something that's very important for all of us to listen to. This is even if you're not in Shidduchim. And this is something that I think we really all have to hear. A lot of times in our life, we need something from other people. Let's say we need a parent. We need a parent. And our vision of a parent is a certain way. Let's say a father. You know, when you think of a father, if you, you know, you grow up on television and you see certain, you know, father figures, or maybe you see other people's fathers, you're expecting a certain type of father. A father that's warm, a father that's loving, a father that's generous, a father that's caring, a father that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that, a tip of, uh, you know, a, a, a perfect father. And lo and behold, our fathers are not that. Fathers have chesreinus. They're not warm. They're cold to us. They have issues. They're not generous. They can't be generous. They want to be generous, but they can't. A lot of times the mother, I wanted a mother that was a certain way. I needed more warmth. I needed more love. And yet she never gave me that hug. She never gave me that, that affection, that tenderness, that sweetness, that something that I needed and I'm angry about that. And I have tightness about that. How many of us have that? How many of us think about our parents and we have these residual you know, feelings of like, uh, of, that we were gypped? I needed a certain type of father. I needed a certain type of mother. I needed a sibling. I needed a brother or a sister that was a certain way. If my sibling would have been warmer to me, sweeter to me, then I would have been so much greater... And we go through our life and we're upset and we're angry, we have tightness, we feel that we were really cheated out of that, what we needed. And I think Rebbe Hanan's Vard is very applicable. If a person has that situation, and so many of us do, I know so many people do, because people come to me every day with these issues. Rebbe Hanan's Vard is true. You're looking for B'tzalo. It would be great if your father happened to be the B'tzalo that you needed. If your mother happened to be the B'tzalo that you needed. That would be amazing. Imagine having a father and a mother that were perfect B'tzalos. Or a sister or a brother that was that, that perfect person that you really wish that you had. And now you feel that you're lacking and you feel you have tightness towards them. You can't be angry about it. You can't be angry about it. Those people were not your B'tzalos. 
you wanted them to be your Betzalel, but the Rabbani Shalom said, go find Betzalel. If you don't find, if that's not your Betzalel, then it's not Betzalel. If your father wasn't the father that you wanted and that you needed, don't be angry at him. Get over it. Be Michael. He would like to be that father, but he couldn't. Maybe his father was a certain way to him, and that's what caused him to be the way he is. But you can't, like, shake his lapels and say, I need you to be a certain... He's not. He can't. If he can't, he can't. Don't be angry. He's not Bitsalel. He can't be what he can't be. If your mother was not the way that you wanted her to be, don't be angry at her. She's not your Bitsalel. What do you mean she's not my Bitsalel? But she's my mother. I, I need my... It's sad. It's true that it's sad. But you can't go through life with these kindness because at the end of the day, if they're not Pitsalo, they're not Pitsalo. Your sister, your brother, if, yeah, if he was this, if she was that, it would be a mate. But they're not. They're not Pitsalo. You have to find your own Pitsalo. Maybe when you get married, your wife will be that person that you needed in a mother. Maybe you'll find a friend, a Rebbe, somebody that could take that place of the father figure that you needed. But, were, but don't be upset at people. If they can't be Betzal, they're not Betzal. You can't be mad at them. If they're not able to, they can't. Not everybody is a perfect human being. Betzal was a perfect person. Betzal was energetic, and he was a thinker, and he was a, a planner, and he was an organizer, and he was an architect, and he was a dreamer, he was a designer. He was artistic, and he had Ruach HaKadosh, and he was able to mitzarev all the Isis, Shabbat, Nivru Shemayim, Baaretz. was in a, a unique individual in Jewish history, but not everybody could be that way. There's one Betzalo. And if somebody's not a Betzalo, you can't get mad at him. You can't never. What am I supposed to do? I can't. When you're looking for people in your life that are Bitsalos and they're not, you can't be mad at them. And we, we spend so much time being angry at those individuals in our life that we're not able to do everything that they could towards us, for us. But you can't be mad. They weren't able to. You have to be meichel them for not being able to. They're not, they, they weren't zeichel. They couldn't, they wouldn't, they, but whatever it was, whatever the specific case is, if they're not your Betzalos, then leave them be. Love them, appreciate them for what they are and what they were able to do for you, but don't expect them to be more than they are and more than their capabilities. It's a rare individual that could be a perfect parent. How many perfect parents are there? Are we perfect children? It would be great if my parents were from. It would be great if my parents were rich. It would be great if my parents... They're not. If they're not, then they're not. So leave them be. And look for what you need elsewhere in terms of what you're, what you're lacking. But when you're seeking B'tzalo and they're not B'tzalo, so then you can't be mad, Rebbe Hanan says. And I think this is such a fundamental you cite in life if understood properly. I, it's probably easily misunderstood. And obviously, I can't touch every single scenario, and sometimes it's a lot more complicated. I know. But I think the basic premise is very valuable, that we look for people that are good for us. In a spouse, we look for parents, we look for siblings, look for friends, 
How many of our friends let us down? I thought he was my best friend. I thought he was loyal to me. I thought I could trust him. I thought I could rely on him. And he let me down. Okay, so you were looking for a Bitzalel. He's not Bitzalel. Find a different Bitzalel. If a person would go through life with that attitude, that I'm looking for Bitzalel, and if I can't find him or her, then I'll look elsewhere. It's a much healthier way of dealing with it than... Than, than, than expecting every person that you meet to be this highest standard of Bitzal, and then when they fall short of it, it's a, a, a crushing disappointment. You can't live like that. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeiche to ourselves be a Bitzal. We ourselves should build Tyra, either through giving shiurim, through supporting Tyra, we should be a perfect Bitzal in terms of being a great husband, a perfect husband, if you will, a great father, a great friend. We should be Bitzalos. We should all be Bitzalos. But stop expecting other people to be Bitzalos because they're not. Accept them for who they are. Take them warts and all. Accept them with all their chesreinus. And if they're not Bitzal, then look elsewhere. But don't be mad at them. Because they weren't Zaycha. Some people are Zaycha to Bibitzalos, and some people are not. But it's not their fault. And even if it is their fault, it's still not their fault because you couldn't change it. I think it's such an important Yisai, this Rebbe Khan. I, I, I think if we live with this Rebbe Khanan, it would literally change our attitudes. We could speak to our parents normally. We could have a, a normal, healthy relationship without all the angst and all the all the tension that always, not always, but so, so often goes with it. Because we're expecting something and they're not. Okay. So they're not. Mitzvah Hashem, we should 